The Women of Distinction program is about celebrating and honoring the achievements of some of the most respected and recognized leaders in the biopharma, medical device, and agency sectors of the healthcare industry. These are women who have made significant impacts in the marketing and communications fields in the past year and have worked tirelessly to meet any and all challenges head on. And man, has this year already thrown us more than our fair share. This year, MMM is honoring an incredible group of women who are doing their part to leave the healthcare industry and the world a better place. Some are established in the prime of their career, having already blazed a trail for those who will follow, and others are just getting started in their quest to propel the healthcare industry forward. As the late great RBG said, real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. So let's use today as a chance to celebrate the power of women, lift each other up, and light the way so that all women will not only have a voice, but a platform to use it from. Hey, this is Mark, and that was my colleague, Cara Giannichini. She heads up custom content for MMM and was one of the organizers of the Women of Distinction Conference. In the six years that MMM has been holding its Women of Distinction Recognition Program, it's become one of the brand's most beloved. The program recognizes women who have pioneered in the areas of OTC, DTC, and HCP promotion, created some of the industry's most iconic medical advertising, and helped put multicultural marketing on the healthcare map. Not to mention tackle the gender gap in agencies, biopharma, and medtech. And each year, as part of our efforts to recognize their contributions, the new class of honorees is invited to an awards ceremony and educational event. This week on the podcast, highlights from the 7th Annual Women of Distinction event, which took place the morning of June 7th. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing and media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. From the panel discussions to the closing keynote, we'll bring you audio snippets and commentary from MMM's Women of Distinction 2022 Educational Summit. This year's event covered themes such as building a culture of inclusion, the path of women in the workplace, fighting systemic bias, and mentoring. We also ended the day with an inspiring fireside chat with keynote Aisha Williams, head of culturally inclusive and relevant marketing for Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of J&J. The first session of the day involved building a culture of inclusion in the workplace, and this one featured speakers Kim Johnson, Global CEO from Ogilvy Health, Dania Alarcon, Chief Medical Officer from Wonderman Thompson Health, and Mary Michael, VP, Patient Advocacy and Stakeholder Management at Otsuka Pharmaceuticals. And uh, this is one that you moderated, right, Kara? Yeah, it was my pleasure to moderate that one. It was a great discussion. We talked a lot about kind of the programs that all of these women have going on within their own companies, how they're supporting women and doing their part to kind of throw the the ladder down for the other women coming up in the industry. So I know Kim talked a lot about the programs they had going on. She does something really cool that I like that I told her I was going to steal called Virtual Coffees with Kim. As leaders, it's so important that we get to know our teams, right? And especially with remote and hybrid cultures, probably a little bit more challenging today, um, maybe than in prior years. So we have to be very deliberate and intentional about having conversations and making space and time to listen um, and to be transparent and real uh, and, and understand what's important to our people. One of the things that's worked well for me since joining Ogilvy Health last year uh, is something I call just virtual coffees with Kim. 
And it's just time set aside to meet with all levels of our organization just for, just for a chat, get to know, get to know each other and, and what's happening in our worlds. I love that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> um, Mary, how about you? I think it's really important for us to be authentic at work and to really um, demonstrate leadership from that perspective and kind of share our personal goals and some of the things that we're dealing with so that others will feel comfortable in sharing with us as well. So I would echo a lot of the sentiments that you shared. Um, and I think that you know, it's also important to understand personal goals as well as professional goals because you want to meet individuals where they are. Mary, um, who I adore, <laughs> I love her. She talked a lot about being her authentic self at work and just the importance of that. I know our keynote hit on that a lot as well. That was definitely a theme throughout the day, authenticity, just being true to yourself, setting an example for your team, being real and showing your personal side and kind of showing your human side can really make you a better leader. She talked a lot about that and also how that can kind of play a role in people's mental health if they know that their manager or their director has their best interest in heart and is, you know, taking a vested interest in their mental and physical well-being, that can really be a great motivator and a great driver. So I thought that was really good as well. Danya talked a lot about, which I loved, about creating a safe space for her team and just kind of, you know, showing some kindness out of as we come out of remote work, some patience. Everybody's getting used to being in person again, thank goodness, but it does take some getting used to and it takes, you know, a little bit of a readjustment because we've been, you know, fully remote for so long. So I thought that was interesting as well. One additional one that I might layer on in terms of, you know, guidance and creating inclusive spaces is looking at who else is not in the room, challenging stereotypes and expectations. And if you are in these spaces and someone's not speaking up, just challenging them to kind of provide their perspective. And the way that that happens is by empowering them and knowing that their voice and their opinions are valued. And I think, you know, one example of this is, you know, if we're in a spot where maybe you are the decision maker in the room and you've said something, taking a second, Jumping back and being like, does anyone disagree or should we do something different? Let's offer a different point of view. Let's offer a point B and really pressure test that to make sure that everyone's comfortable with that. And I think the only place where that happens is where people feel safe and they feel like their voice matters as much as anyone who is in that decision maker capacity. And I think creating these safe spaces really will empower the rest of your team to feel like their voices matter. It matters and it's important. Our next session of the day uh, was about the trajectory of women in the workplace, which is, of course, not always a straightforward one. So the advice here was particularly salient. And this panel was comprised of execs from the agency View Health. Kara, what uh, were the main takeaways from this session? Yeah, so this was another great session. Um, I was I was actually most surprised by some of the statistics that were shared throughout. It was 1920 when women were granted the right to vote. It was 1972 when the first woman was named CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It was 1974 before a woman could open a credit card without her husband or father's permission, which was especially enraging to me. <laughs> so I know that that was uh, pretty shocking to the audience as well. They talked a lot about diversity and inclusion and just kind of how if you want to change the landscape, 
of your company, it has to start at the top and kind of reflect the workforce that you want. And you have to set yourself up for the type of workforce that that you want instilled um, by starting with the hiring process and starting, you know, at the top and letting it trickle down. So they also talked a lot about how kind of in order to reach true innovation, you can't leave half the population out. So I know that was the title of their panel was, you know, women, you know, women shouldn't have to beg for a seat at the table. You should want us there. Um, So it was kind of just making that point that, you know, if you're not, if you're leaving out half the population, you're not, you know, your, your campaigns and your work is not going to be reflective of the population. Catherine talked a lot about, she's the CEO, obviously, of View Health. She talked a lot about how she started the company six weeks after giving birth to twins, which is incredible um, in itself. But she talked about how there was just so much white space in that industry and how she felt like, you know, there was just an opportunity that presented itself and she needed to step in. And now they're, um, in a, you know, a company that's 80 percent female, which is which is great. The group as a whole talked a lot about a good leader is a good leader. It's not necessarily assigned by gender. So um, a lot of the traits that often get attributed to women are not necessarily true for every single woman. Just like, you know, it's not true that every man is aggressive in their approach um, in leadership. So she was just kind of, they were just kind of noting that, you know, that it does differ by person. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, women don't have to be stronger or more aggressive to be hurt. They can be soft-spoken and still be effective as a leader, which I thought was really great. The uh, third session of the morning was on combating healthcare disparities faced by black women. As the description points out, there still is quite a bit of systemic bias, uh, not only in the healthcare system, but in the workplace toward black women. Uh, And the panel, which was comprised of execs from InTouch and Eversana Company, talked about an interesting initiative called the Chrysalis Initiative, which was designed to, um, as they put it, erase the line to end this, these kinds of injustices. Uh, and they, they talked around, around that effort. So, Kara, what did you find most interesting there? Yeah, I thought this was just such an incredible campaign. I, I really loved watching the videos, you know, like the women that were up there mentioned, they got chills. I think all of us in the audience did as well. It's a really powerful campaign. Obviously, as you mentioned, there is a lot of injustice uh, within the healthcare system, especially when it comes to, to women of color. Too many black women are still dying of breast cancer when they don't have to be. So this, you know, the imagery, they had it done by, had they had unique illustrations, original illustrations done by an incredibly talented artist, because as they mentioned, um, they couldn't show bare breasts on social media. So to get around that, they had to do, um, you know, original illustrations, but they came out so beautiful and incredible. So I thought it really just tied the whole campaign together. Part of what they're doing with the Chrysalis Initiative is they've created this this app that actually allows women to go on, look up their the institution that they're receiving care from and see what the rating is, um, kind of how you know, where they lie in the the bias of, of different institutions. And they can chime in and rate the institution and 
kind of say, yes, I'm, you know, I'm receiving this unbiased care or no, I'm not. It's, you know, I'm not getting what I need from this institution. So it's just all about making care equal, which is so important. Um, it was started by Jamil Rivers, who, as, their, as they refer to her as their fearless leader, she's a metastatic breast cancer survivor, and she's done an incredible job of getting the word out about this initiative and just kind of its importance. So uh, one of the women on the panel, Diana, she mentioned these amazing statistics that kind of that they've been able to gather from the women using the app. She mentioned there's a there was a 50% rise in clinical trial enrollment for women of color. 90% of the women using the app say they have a restored confidence in their treatment and all of the users of the app 100% say that by following the guidance of the app they now have improved standard of care. So that right there I think speaks volumes. And one other thing that I find really remarkable, too, is that uh, Jamil has a whole curriculum of how uh, cancer centers really can ensure that they are providing equal treatment and takes them through this course. And of course, as you can imagine, when she walks in, the hospitals are saying, well, not us. We, we, we do it you know, perfectly. Right. Um, but again, the, the, the data necessarily doesn't lie. And certainly, you know, there will be excuses here and there. But hospitals are adapting this and truly changing the way that they're treating patients who come in. Yeah, there's been such an, um, an uptick in, in hospitals wanting to join in, in erasing the line of inequality. I mean, big names like MD Anderson Cooper Cancer Center, um, Northwestern Medicine, Penn Medicine. So getting some big names and big backing behind the initiative has been really helpful too. Yeah. And, the, and the press. I mean, Jamil has taken herself and her initiative on Good Morning America, CNN. People Magazine, Ebony Magazine. I mean, she's really getting the word out there through every avenue she possibly can. And another great thing um, that I think will allow us to continue to help her and, and help this cause is we're getting some industry recognition as well. I mean, we don't create four awards, but when they happen, they feel really good. <laughs> and you know, this campaign is getting noticed for good reason, and we actually just won a gold pencil at the One Show. Nice. So um, we're just really excited about what that means, um, and we hope that, it, that it, it allows us to continue to expand this campaign and work with Jamil and work with the Chrysalis Initiative. Unbelievable statistics to hear, and I hope they keep forging forward. Just a really well done, incredibly well done campaign. They've won a few awards, which as they mentioned, that wasn't the goal, but it certainly feels good to, you know, to be recognized and as well they should. It was, it was well deserved. So the app also allows users to provide reviews of the care they're receiving and kind of start to advocate for their own health and kind of take control, take that power back. So it was really, really well done. Yeah. Those are, those are some eye-popping results. It's really impressive. And it wouldn't be a Women of Distinction event if we didn't have a session on mentoring. You know, so important for women to uh, send the escalator, as it were, back down for those leaders to be. And this panel um, had execs from the agency Evoke, specifically Jen O'Dwyer, president of Evoke North America. On the client side, Erica Hawthorne, executive director of digital media strategy from Bayer. Also, Kelly Walberts. EVP, Strategic Marketing and Infused Medicines from Horizon Therapeutics, 
and it was moderated by our own Alexis Warenga, content programming manager. Kara, what did you find most interesting about this one? Yeah, no, this was, you know, it was a great way to cap off the content portion of the day. As you said, we always have to include mentor, something on mentoring. It's very important. So these women were talking a bit about how just kind of looking for a mentor that's not necessarily going to tell you what you want to hear, which I thought was really interesting. And just, you know, and maybe it's somebody looking for someone that maybe makes, you know, takes you out of your comfort zone, which I thought was great advice. Just kind of reiterating that true friends and good mentors tell you the truth, you know, and and you as a mentee need to be open to receiving that constructive criticism or you shouldn't seek it out <laughs> because if you're not open to receiving that, then you're not really looking for true mentorship because it should not always be, you know, praise and um, all kinds of positive accolades. It should, you know, it, it also needs to be about your weaknesses and, and what you can do better. So I thought that was really interesting. And just kind of, you know, along those same lines, they talked a bit about how we need to be uncomfortable every day in order to grow. So just putting the putting people around you that kind of bring that out of you, maybe force you to get out of your comfort zone, think out of the box a little bit and and just take a leap and and maybe do something within your job or in your personal life, whatever it might be, that kind of scares you a little bit and makes you a little bit uncomfortable because that's, you know, that's how we grow as as people, as human beings. So I thought that was great. I know Erica shared a lot. She's always amazing because she's so, so much her authentic self in everything she does. And we always appreciate when she's on one of our panels. We know it's going to be very interesting, if nothing else, because she's she's just so authentic and so real. Uh, so she shared a little bit about her journey as a Crohn's disease patient. The path here was just combining my personal life, right? It wasn't even about professional. I have Crohn's disease. I'm a Crohn's patient. And I felt like two things, advocating for African-Americans because of medical disparities and being a patient, that you reach a stage in your life where your goal shifts. It's not even, oh, I'm flexing. It's I'm growing, right? And I've grown into a place in my career where if I have a powerful position and I can advocate for underserved communities, two of which I belong to, right? I'm disabled, technically, and I'm African-American, that I have a responsibility to do it. So when I think about growth, I really think of it in the sense of, am I adding value to the world? Not my company, but to the world. Is it aligned with who I am as a person? And does it help my community? And so I think that that flex is super important, right? Because coming to farm and I say that about my community, we're not really here. So you have to be open to growth. I know you mentioned mentors. I think that's been one of the big struggles in my career is I don't really have one above me because there's no one who looks like me in a position above me. So where is my guiding star, right? I used to say this before Barack Obama became president because people say, oh, you could be president one day. That hasn't been true for everyone. So for me, the growth is really about trusting myself, building a network and a good team. And just keep moving, right? Because you're going to fail if you stop. So you have to keep moving. She kind of talked a little bit about how her network looks different, you know, than her white colleagues' networks do. And that's okay. Glennis has worked with me the last three places that I've worked. I take her everywhere with me, right? And there's another girl on my team named Debbie Martin that worked with me at my last job. There's a kid on my team named Imtiaz Kondaker who worked with me on my last job. So when we talk about 
bringing people with you. I literally bring them with me because I wouldn't be able to do it <laughs> if they weren't there, right? And so I think that I look at that as a sense of my mission. How does it relate to that? Well, Glennis is a young African-American woman. I'm 10 years older than her. <laughs> and I expect for her to surpass me, right? But in order for her to surpass me, someone has to give her the opportunity. Because it's not just about the skill set. I can think of many times in my career where I've seen people who should have moved forward, but for whatever reason, they didn't get the opportunity. And so my role as her manager is to make sure she has that opportunity. So when you talk about, should I speak up? Should I step back? We have that conversation all the time. Like, hey, G, I'll jump in here. <laughs> I will jump in here and, and, and settle it. But do you want to take this? Because I want the people on my team to do what they're comfortable with. And I think that relative to my mission around underserved communities, I have the most diverse team at Bayer. And what I did to do that was be black. My network looks different, right? And that really was the bottom line, is that my network looks more like the United Nations. Because if you're African American, it has to. We're 12% of the population. I spent most of my life being the black kid. So if I have an opportunity for someone else not to feel that, when you talk about biases and stuff, that's going to happen. Because she should have something that I didn't have because she is 10 years younger than me. So how are we moving it forward? So if you talk to her personally or anybody on my team, they'll probably say, I'm pretty fierce about my team, right? Because I wouldn't have gotten here without them, number one. And I can say that if you take somebody three places with you, right? We met one place, and I, I didn't even know how to do my tech there, and I just happened to sit next to her. I had a different onboarding partner, and she's like, oh, no, you did this way. You, and I'm like, wait a minute, Glennis knows how to do everything here, <laughs> literally. So I'm like, oh, when I go, she's coming with me because I'm not going to be able to replicate this, right? And then give them the space to grow, and I think that it helps all of these things. I talk about being African-American and how do we change the industry. You just have to be, right? You talked about mentoring and having an African-American mentor, and I've never had to have anybody tell me to be aggressive, because I'm aggressive-aggressive. I'm pleasant, <laughs> but I'm aggressive-aggressive. But I also find that it's sort of the reverse for African-American women, because the way we communicate is received the same way that white men communicate, but they don't expect that from a woman, and they certainly don't want that from a, bl a black woman. And I'm going to smile at that. I'm going to stay here. I'm still here. And I'm going to still do my thing, right? Because sometimes you have to remove the noise, focus on your mission. Okay. Sounds like another great uh, Women of Distinction program. But th thanks for rolling through the highlights for us, Kara. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. It was a great event as always. And it's always an honor to host and be part of the day. Thanks, Mark. So we ended the day with an inspiring fireside chat with Aisha Williams, who is head of uh, culturally inclusive and relevant marketing for Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies at J&J. &J. And my colleague, Lesha Bushak, who's senior reporter on the magazine, led that fireside chat. I'm going to let her recap that, uh, that talk right now. Sure. So Aisha really provided an inspiring keynote chat that I think a lot of the audience could take some good takeaways from. Her topic was leading as a whole woman, mind, heart, and soul basically to allow women to be their authentic selves in leadership positions. And I can break down those three different aspects of that. 
the first one is leading with the mind. And the way that Aisha sort of described that is that, you know, it comes from a place of confidence when you lead with your mind. But there's also some negatives associated with your mind sometimes as well, because our minds can lead to self-doubt, self-sabotage, especially when you're particularly overwhelmed or overstretched. As women, you know, being quite busy in their working lives, often have families, you know, working mothers, whether they're leaders in their communities, women tend to become overwhelmed a lot of times with busy schedules. And she kind of talked about really finding ways to replenish and reflect in order to sort of take care of your mind. And she also brought up a a personal anecdote that I thought was quite interesting, where she was talking a lot about how she, you know, in her career, she often found herself seeking external validation And she had to kind of switch that formula to finding the validation internally in herself. And that was really sort of a magical moment for her. I have an experience that I always go back to early in my career. When I was a young leader, I adopted a formula that worked for me. I did the work that I thought was good work. My leaders liked the work and my leaders liked me. And so I began to associate my value with being liked. I sort of left the work part out in the middle. So then when I paired up with a leader who who didn't seem to like many people, but wasn't the type of a leader that was affirming and that was supportive, it absolutely rocked me. And I remember I thought about maybe this isn't the career for me. Maybe this isn't what I'm meant to be doing. So I wasn't accepting my whole self in that situation. But the good thing is I realized it. Something is off here, and I took that time to reflect. And for me, that included reaching out to my sister's circle, which is a part of what we can do in that reflection time. And I'll never forget, I had a leader, her name was Stacy, And Stacy said, Aisha, your whole formula is based on external validation. And I just hadn't thought about it that way. And she helped me see that the magic is in me. I am the magic whether they like it or not. And so the goal is to be respected for the work that you do. It's not to be liked beyond that as a requirement to know that you're being successful. And I think that's a part of what has strengthened me to understand the value that I bring from the inside out instead of from the outside in. The second part is leading with the heart. And the way that I should describe that was coming from a place of connection. As women in particular, uh, women have a special gift to connect with people. She she described it that way. Um, and this is actually something that she believes is really important in healthcare, where people and patients are often yearning to be seen, heard, and believed. And she really encouraged women to lean into that, to lean into that place of connection and to leading from the heart. She also believes that can tie into inclusivity as well in the workplace, something that a lot of different companies have been focusing on in recent years, bringing that into mentorship as well. And the third aspect is leading with the soul. And she described that as coming from a place of conviction. So really defining your why behind you know, what you do in your career, your passion behind it. For her, it really came from her experience guiding her mother through Alzheimer's. The soul is about that place of conviction. It's the fuel, it's the energy, it's the why we do what we do. And whether it's a spiritual practice, whether it's a personal connection to healthcare, whether it is just the values that you've been raised with, it's important to tap into that. 
for me, my conviction is around my mother. I am relatively new into the pharmaceutical parts of healthcare, but a lot of that came from accompanying my mother on her journey with Alzheimer's disease. It was amazing to me to see my mother that she reached a point where she didn't remember nearly anything else, but she could remember the tune of every gospel song that we had sang our entire lives in the church. She would hum and you could say, that's amazing grace, that's Lord be with me. And so as I help my mother navigate this, the complexities of the system, trying to find the resources that we needed, seeing very few faces of people who look like my mother from a diverse representation standpoint, I made my conviction the fact that I was going to devote the balance of my career to working in healthcare and having that difference and hearing my mother's tune in my mind, even in my day to day. Because this work is hard in healthcare. How many times do we ask ourselves, why am I fighting for something that it seems like nobody else thinks is important? Why does it seem like I'm always climbing up a hill when we're still talking about inequities that we were talking about 20 years ago? But when you can take the time to tap into that why, keep that fuel, that conviction, we need that in order to keep going because our patients and our communities, they need us to have that same passion that we've always had for this work. One of the biggest takeaways from her keynote is really how all of this ties into mental health as well. Some of her takeaways about, you know, reflection and taking time for self-care, replenishing. She brought up, you know, the importance of having a therapist. I think that was one of the biggest takeaways for me. And her final message really to wrap it up was for women to sort of reflect on all these different ways that they can lead with the mind, heart and soul and then find ways to pay it forward in, in the future for people that they work with and for future women of distinction honorees. I think she really she really did a great job in sort of bringing all of that together and how it ties into mental health. Yeah. And while the program honors some of the industry's most esteemed women leaders, Sending the elevator back down for leaders to be has always been a big theme. What was uh, some of her advice for women in in terms of mentoring? Do do you recall that? She was kind of tying it into the place of leading with the heart. So really trying to lean into that place of connection. You know, I think she brought up a point that typically we're, we're told to sort of leave our personal experiences away from the workplace and our you know, our emotions out of the workplace. She said that her parents always told her to kind of like keep your personal business out of the workplace. But in this scenario, it can actually be helpful for women to lean into some of that more personal connection standpoint when it comes to mentoring, for example, um, helping women of color to reach their goals and sort of from a more personal place to help people feel more included. Of everything that we talked about, so if we lead with the mind and that confidence, then that's helping us to build better solutions. It's helping us to be innovative. It's driving our creativity. If we lead from the heart, it helps us to build more inclusive solutions. It helps us to really plan strategies and programs and communications that touch people. And if we leave from the soul, it helps to make sure that we will never tire from the work that we're doing to make a difference. As we accomplish all of that as women and people in the room, my passion is to make sure that we share it forward, that we pay it forward. Because when you're whole, it means you have enough to share. 
And so as we gain insight and influence and power, let's just make sure that we are passing that on to the women, to the professionals who are coming, to the future women and men of distinction who will be celebrating years from now. I think that's some of the most important work that we can do to maintain this virtual cycle in this industry that's ultimately about bettering the lives of everybody who we can possibly touch. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.